um, a church goer, a church person, I trust that something of what I share will really touch your heart and make you think a little bit more. So Father, I just pray that as we just open the, the Bible up for a few moments, that you would speak to our hearts. We're certainly not just wanting to have a nice word that's just going to tickle us. We're wanting a word that's going to challenge us and make us think and stretch us. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do that both in those hearts that, are, that know you and those who are on a journey to finding you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you'd turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, to Genesis in chapter 16. And if you haven't got your Bible, don't worry because we're going to read it and it will come on the, on the screen. But it's, it's good also to, I think, sometimes take the, the book in your hand and read through it. Before we do that, I want to just... Uh, the message of, of, uh, of this is two questions, really, and they're going to form the title. Where have you come from and where, where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? Let's read it together, shall we? It's quite a, I don't, I've never actually preached from Genesis in chapter 16 before. I mean, the Bible's a very big book. But I've just uh, been reading through the book of Genesis, and I was really challenged by, by these verses. So let's start in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now let me just stop there for a moment. That was very normal in that, in that day and age. That is not normal now. So if you're new here, we're not advocating that kind of things. If you're from royalty, you've got to, we, we're not advocating that. Okay. But that was very normal in that day. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had lived had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and know that she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And verse 7 reads, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she answered, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress mistress, and submit to her. So Hagar found herself in a very, very difficult situation. She was caught between a rock and a hard place. She'd been given to a master to build a family through her because Abraham and, Abraham and Sarah, Sarai at that point, had a promise from God that they were going to have children. In fact, the promise to Abram was, look across the the stars in the skies and so will your descendants be. This was going to be big. And yet, they were childless. They couldn't conceive. 
So what they tried to do, they tried to give God a hand. If I can just say this. Whenever we try to give God a hand, it will always turn disastrous. God doesn't need a hand. Doesn't need your hand. Doesn't need my hand. God is well capable and well able to do what he has said he would do. Can I hear an amen? And often we can try and work it out and think it through. We was in another context a few years last week. And John Partington reminded us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We can often take things to ourselves. And this is what happened in this particular context. The result of it was, of course, Hagar did conceive. But, of course, that's when the trouble began. Because there was jealousy, quite understandably. Sarai wondering, why on earth haven't I had a child? I've been sleeping with this man and I not got pregnant and here they are. Bob's your uncle. And as a result of it, her mistress Sarai began to mistreat her. I think probably, you know, that word mistreat probably means unkind to her, resenting her, not wanting her around, particularly when the baby's there. And it was very difficult. So Hagar found herself, found herself in a really tough place. Because she'd in essence done nothing wrong, had she? She'd just done what she'd been told to do because she was a slave. But now she was being mistreated. She felt abandoned. Anybody here ever felt abandoned? She felt abandoned. And she was also now found herself, because she was on the run, run, she was now a single parent. We have numbers of single parents in the life of this church. And I'm glad you're here. I'm not glad you're a single parent, but I'm glad you're here. Because at least we can try and do the very best we can to try and just support you in the best way we can. But this is what Hagar found herself in. And she was running away. The angel came to her and said, what are you doing here? Where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I'm running away. I don't know whether you as a kid used to, you weren't very happy with your mum and dad and you say, I'm going to run away. I don't know whether you probably, some of you giggling, you could probably have, have thought that in your mind even if you didn't express it. But she actually did it. She actually began to run away. But what I've realized is that isn't just for children and just for ladies with with children. This can be all of our experience because I believe that there's a world that's running away. It runs away from responsibility. There's people who run away from fears. There's people who run away from criticism. As soon as they criticize, they walk away. They pick the ball up. I'm not playing with you anymore. People run away. People walk away. Soon as a bit of trouble hits, soon as there's some failure, I'm walking away. I'm running away. I can just be bold here. And this is not a statement because you know my my heart uh, with this. There are some context marriages where they're they're irreparable in that sense because there's a lot of stuff around. But I also see some other contexts where people just walk away too quickly. And too cheaply. And people find themselves, and you've done it and I've done it, where we've walked away, where we've run away. 
But what I want to do is I want to just pick up the, the thought of the angel, the two questions, because for me they're so profound questions. If you take your notes, the first one is where have you come from? The second one is where are you going? Where have you come from? What, what I was really meditating on this is because people tend to hide their pasts. A lot of people pretend about their past. But some people even lie about their past. There's a big story that's just hit over the weekend, if you've been looking at it, about the Archbishop Justin Welby. Anybody read the story, give me a wave. You know, quite challenging for him, I guess, in many ways. And yet he made this statement, my identity is found in Jesus Christ alone, not in anything else. But I'm sure there's been some pain around that. Because the man who he was raised with, who was actually, reports, was an alcoholic. And so he had quite a difficult upbringing. You see, people look at people like that and think he doesn't know what I'm, what I'm going through. And yet there's a man who's the highest authority in the Church of England, knew exactly what he felt like. And he was with a man who was abusive and angry and drunk much of the time. And he wasn't even his father. Here's a man, Archbishop Justin Welby, who hasn't hid his past. He's been very open about it. Because I want to say this, and there are numbers of people who have a past here. I want to get you free. I want to free you up. Because God is very comfortable with our pasts. I'll say that again because I want a better amen than that. God is comfortable with our pasts. We often think he isn't, but he is. He's extremely comfortable with your past, sir, madam. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower and you've been doing your own thing, you think, I can't let on that I don't know what they're on earth they're talking about or singing about or... You know, what I were doing the night before. I want to say God is very comfortable with your pasts. Very comfortable. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. If you'll allow him to work in you. But he's very, very comfortable with your past. That's why Jesus was always at mixing with people of disrepute. Because he's very comfortable around people's failures and sins. You see, God is comfortable with our past and he's also comfortable with the emotions attached to those experiences. The Bible actually is filled with characters of questionable past. Some of you may have heard this before, but I just pulled this out of my memory bank because oftentimes we think that the Bible is just full of heroes of the faith. And if you're new today and you won't know some of these names, please forgive me, you'll know one or two from Bible stories in school but there's certain people who you'll just resonate with because many people read the Bible or think the Bible is filled with just perfection and it's filled with imperfection. So let me tell you, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Sorry, this is what it says. <laughs> Joseph was abused. Moses had a st- 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 stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab, well, she was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy, they were too young. 
David, the man after God's own heart, the one who slayed Goliath, he was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I don't think you'd want that. It's the second time we've had that mentioned in two Sundays. Andy was the one before. Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a widow. Job, he went bankrupt. John the Baptist, this is the worst one. He ate bugs. Peter, he denied Christ. The disciples, well, they fell asleep while praying. Martha, she worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus, he was too small. Paul, he was too religious. Timothy, couldn't take the pressure. He had an ulcer. Lazarus, he was dead. Do you fit into that category? Because the Bible is filled with people who have a past. Listen to me. Your past cannot be changed, forgotten, edited, or erased. It can only be accepted. And if you want to find freedom, you have to embrace your past. You have to free yourself from the embarrassment, from the failure, and regret of your past. Listen to me. We all have things that we're not glad about. We all have things that we wish we hadn't done. We all have things that we wish we hadn't said. There's mistakes, embarrassments, failures, and regret that are all around my life. And yet God is very comfortable with this man who isn't naked before you, but what I'm trying to do is, with vulnerability, bring to you, he is very comfortable with my failings. He's very comfortable with who I am. And that is one of the first things that we need to understand if we are going to move forward. Change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before others and before God. So here's the first lesson that I want to give to you. Okay, let me just put it down here so I get it right. So this is lesson one. I'm sorry if you're over here. Do not let your past define you. Do not let your past define you. Just because you've been in prison doesn't mean you're going to run your life for the rest of your life as a criminal. Are you hearing me? Just because you was an adulterer and now you're in Christ, doesn't, don't let that define you. Don't let that define you. You failed at school. You failed at work. Don't let that define you, that failure. That failure that you've had with your kids. Don't let it define you. That marriage that failed, don't let it define you. Are you hearing me? Because every one of us have got big and small things that will try and define us. The enemy, I said by saying, Jesus said that I've come to give you life. But the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And one of the areas that he does, Satan comes, and he comes to bring our past, and he wants it to define us. So you was once this, once was this, and you're going to be this forever and ever and ever. Have you ever had those things whisper in your ear? 
It's a lie. So lesson number one is do not let your past define you, but let your let your past distinguish you. I don't know whether I've spelt it right, but anyway. Distinguish you. Let your past distinguish you. There's a thing that I just want to write down here, which I think is really important. I want everybody, if you've got a piece of paper and a pen, I want you to just do this because I want you to answer it later. I am because. I am because of. And this is where we allow it to distinguish us. Those, those mistakes, those failures, those issues in our lives, they can be the springboard into distinguishing you as the kind of person that you are. I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who may have had, let's use the issue of, of drug and alcohol, for instance. Some of those people who've had issues in this, they, they get free of it. They've not allowed the, the past to define them. But it then distinguishes them. And they often then go and help other people who are in those areas of challenges. You understand? That's what I'm talking about. Don't let it define you. Let your past distinguish you. I am because of. Some of you are here and you bring, you bring your heads in, your hearts in. Your heads are down. You might not literally, but in your spirits you're down. You think, I can never be. I can never do. And I want to tell you, it's all a lie of the enemy. And we have to first of all, Determine and discern, where have I come from? Where have I come from? Josh has already mentioned it, but on the 24th of April, we're going to be having our growth track. And the second week of that is finding freedom. We want to help people to find freedom. We want to help people to become comfortable with their past that will then not define them, but will distinguish them to be the man and woman of God that God has destined for you to be. Can I hear an amen? The second question that the the, the angel said to, to Hagar was not just where have you come from, but where are you going? These are two questions that every one of you need to answer. Where have I come from and where am I going? I never forget the time one of the first trips that I took to the States, and we were actually traveling with Josh and family and Kerwin. And I'd been there the year before. We're on this road, and Chris Turner, Josh's dad, is very, very good with a sense of direction, keen sense of direction. Anybody else like that? If you've got a keen sense of direction, yeah. Who's not like that? Okay, yeah. I'm a bit in the middle. I can't say I'm the best, I can't say I'm the worst. But because I'd traveled this place before the year before, I'd said to Chris, look, I know where I'm, where I'm going. And we've got to get on this road. You see, and the thing is, we got on this road. We're on the right road. It's called International Drive. But International Drive is a very, very long road. And we got on this road. And about 15 minutes into it, I think, I think I'm on the wrong road. <laughs> I actually wasn't on the wrong road. But I was going in the wrong direction. There's a message there. Because we're all going on a road. It's called life. It's a motorway for some. Some of us, it's a country lane, but it's life. It's moving. Your life's moving. The question is, where are you going? 
Are you headed in the right direction? Because I want to tell you, the longer it went, I thought, we're going wrong here. And I actually stopped. I remember saying, we're going to, but we weren't on the wrong road. We were just going in the wrong direction. There's a Bible verse. It's found in Proverbs in chapter 14. I wonder if we could have it on the screen, please. Proverbs chapter 14. And it reads there, there is a way. It seems right to a man, but in the end, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that appears right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Let me ask you a question. Where are you going? Where are you going? Because the road that you're leading down The Bible describes it as either a narrow road that you're traveling on or a broad road. The broad road is where everybody's traveling. Jesus, this is a story used. Or are you going to travel the road that he wants you to travel, which is the narrow road, which is the difficult road? And ultimately, that will lead to life. The broad road that everybody's traveling on, listen to me, that will lead to death. If I can be bold, that will lead to eternal death. Not just in this life, in the life to come. I love what, the, what a popular message of this version says. I wonder if we could just show that on the screen just for a moment. Because it says there, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Well, it's fine this road I'm traveling. It's harmless enough. What am I hurting? And I'm just enjoying myself and just doing what I want to do. You know, it's a great road. It looks harmless enough. Look again. Look again. It leads straight to hell. These aren't my words. These are messages, you know, popular versions. This is what the essence of the Bible is trying to say. Look again. It leads to hell. But there is another road. You say, that's a bit scary, that road. Yeah, well, there's another road. And there's another road that we can all be offered. And it's not about our past. It's not about our background. It's not about our experiences. Because like I said to you, God is comfortable with your past. God is comfortable with the, with the sin of my past, of your past. So there's another road that he offers. It doesn't lead, lead to death. It doesn't re, lead, lead to hell. But it's found in Jeremiah in chapter 29 and verse 11. It's a very popular, popular verse around Christ, Christian people. Because this is what God offers. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is a road that I've planned for you. He listen, nudge your neighbor and says, I think he's talking to me. Come on, do it. Nudge him. Do it. It's talking to me. God says this, declares the Lord. He says, for I know the plans. In fact, I want to get us moving a little bit. Let's read it together after three. One, two, three. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. There is another road. There is another road that does not lead to death, that does not lead to hell. There is another road that God has planned. Where are you going? You might be on the right road of life, but you're going in the wrong direction. But there's another way that God calls out. And he calls out, it's like a sign along the motorway. Warning sign, don't go this way. But if you'll just move this way, just go around the carriageway this way road will carry you to what? Plans to prosper you. 
That word prosper just means happiness, joy. Blessed, blessed in your heart. And not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I am, I am uh, disturbed by the level of hopelessness that's across our nation. People are hopeless. People are wondering, searching, trying to find out, trying to make sense of their lives. You talk to homeless people on the streets and they lack hope. You talk to young people and they're leaving school and say, what's the point of doing an education? Because I'm not going to get a job. You talk to the lady who's on minimum wage and you say, what is the point of this? People are living with hopelessness. And they're always trying to find hope in the wrong places. Jesus said, I'll give you a hope. Put your trust in me. Put your trust in God. He says, and I will give you a hope. And I will give you a what? I will give you a what? A future. Anybody want a future here? A future. Something to get out of bed for. Something to live for. Something to die for. Something to just get your teeth stuck into. Am I talking to anybody today? Not just existing. Not just enduring. But enjoying this life that God has given to us. There is another way. I'm so glad that we have, we made a decision in this church to take some houses on. I'm glad some of you are here, I don't want to point you out, but I'm glad that we took and made a decision. There's a team of guys that have gathered around, Debbie and the team, because actually we've got a people who are going on the wrong way, and now some of them are going on the right way. And where some of them had no hope, now they're what? They're full of hope. And when I get stories of them just going out last week and just having a great time on a day trip out, walking up, Black, was it Black Rock? And some of them were absolutely shattered. I thought I was reading it. I was shattered reading it, actually, Debbie. I was having to wipe my brow. But, you know, just terrific. Bringing hope. Where there's hopelessness, if you are hopeless today, I want you to know that Jesus, he says, I have a different way. And what I want to speak over you is hope. I want to speak over you peace. I want to speak over you joy. All you need to do is just simply respond and accept Jesus into your heart and into your life. So if we want to live this other way, if we want to know where we're going, I want to just say it's all about the attitude. Let me just say this, lesson two. And we'll finish with this. And by the way, those who have dedicated the children, I hope you're just taking notes of this because this is what we want you to do is speaking over your kids. You live in such a way that they haven't got to deal with some of the past rubbish that you might have had to deal with. Hello? We should live better, not worse. Can't do it on our own strength. We can only do it with the help of God. But we want our kids to be better. I want my kids to be better than me. Not worse than me. Amen? I won't point him out, but there's a guy who's had difficulty here. And he, I was talking to him last week. Brings his little kid into you know, kids' church. I'm thrilled by that. You know who I'm talking to. I'm thrilled by that. You're bringing your kids in and you're just wanting to have a good foundation. I'm glad that we've got others who bring their grandkids in because they're wanting them to have something just wash over them, yeah? I love that. So, lesson two, I could really go all over the place with this, so let's go. So, lesson number two is this. Under where are you going? You don't 
always get to choose the environment. Materials resource of your life. So that's the first thing. You don't always get to choose the environment of your life, the resource of your life, the opportunities of your life. Some of us have been afforded more opportunities than others. Some of us have been raised better. We just have to accept that. But you you do get to choose your attitude. I often say to our children, particularly Isaac, in the area of sports, and I even saw it yesterday, your altitude, sorry, your attitude determines your altitude. It really does. So we don't always get to choose the environment of life. Where am I going? Things happen. But what I do get to do is choose my attitude. Where I'm going. Hello? And as I've traveled a bit and seen other contexts, particularly more impoverished, what I'm, what I'm really impacted by is people who have nothing have a better attitude than people who have everything. In some of those contexts. And we need to be very grateful for what we have and what we enjoy. And we need to get out of bed with a good attitude and say, you know what? God is with me. God is for me. You know, I've got food. I've got water. Some of us have got a car. Some of us have got a place to live. It may not be perfect, but I'm going to choose my attitude today. So here's the thing. The question I want to leave with you. Not, did I, not only did I say I am because of. I want to ask you this. Where are you going? I am heading blank. Where are you headed? Some wood right in there. I'm heading in the right direction. Wonderful. I'm heading towards getting married. I'm heading towards Jesus. Or other people might say, I'm heading towards, I'm heading towards. I want to ask you, where are you heading? The angel came to Hagar and said, where have you come from? You have to be comfortable with your past. The angel then The second question in the same sentence said, and where are you going? As a church, I want to leave this with you this morning. It's found in 1 1 Chronicles, sorry, in chapter 4 and verse 9 through to 10. Some people would know it as the the prayer of Jabez. This is what it says. Jabez was a better man than his brother's wasn't better because he was better looking. He wasn't better because he was more talented or more gifted. But it says there because he was a man of honor, man of integrity. But the unfortunate thing about Jabez was his mother had named him a name that wasn't particularly complimentary. 
She'd named him Jabez, which actually means pain. So he was named Pain. Imagine having a kid and calling it Pain. You might feel felt you like you give birth to it, ladies, I understand. But let me tell you, no, no children are pains. But that's all he heard all his life. You're a pain. You're a pain. You're a pain. And this is what it says. Because she had a painful birth, I bore him in great pain, his mum said. But Jabez prayed to the God of Israel. This is what he says. Bless me. Oh, bless me. Doesn't matter about my past. I believe your blessing can rest upon this broken past. Give me large land tracts. Give me large parcels of land. Then move on. And provide your personal protection. But don't let evil hurt me. Listen what it says. God gave him what he asked. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Don't let your past define you. Let your past distinguish you. Set you apart as something great. And know that you are heading in the right direction. I wonder if we bow our heads in prayer.